Welcome to the PRBI Insider, presented by PR Boutiques International. The very best PR results required tailored strategies and individual attention. Effective techniques vary considerably from market to market and culture to culture. So when we create a program, rather than laying out prescribed solutions lacking in freshness and vitality, we start with careful consideration of our clients' objectives and plan a creative roadmap. PRBI, a constellation of boutique agencies connecting cultures and sectors. Hello, welcome to today's podcast on PRBI Insider. This is part of our series on using public relations tactics to build consensus. And our guest today is Jeanette Darnauer of the Darnauer Group Communications, a strategic marketing and PR company based in Aspen, Colorado. For 30 years, Jeanette has brought, and I can attest to this from having known her professionally, an inquisitive analytical mind to campaigns along with an expertise in and passion for creative ideas, strategic planning and community engagement. The firm has experience in aviation, the public sector, nonprofits, resort hospitality, environmental sustainability, and luxury real estate, all fields in which the development of consensus in public opinion are extremely important. And they have used these tactics extensively, as we're going to discuss, in community relations, public engagement, brand development, issues management, media relations, and creative marketing. Community outreach and engagement for public entities and private clients is the team's sweet spot. And in fact, they were recently awarded PRSA's coveted Silver Anvil for Public Affairs and Government Campaigns, beating out some of the nation's largest PR firms. So Jeanette, welcome to PRBI Insider today. Thank you, Joy. It's great to be with you. As we are coming out of the pandemic, I think the topic of public engagement is going to take on a new flavor as we adapt what we've learned about safety and uh, public contact. I'd like to start asking you, first of all, Jeanette, let's start with the basics of what is the definition of community outreach and how does it differ from community engagement? A lot of people have talked about community relations for quite a long time. They they really have more recently started realizing that there really is a difference between the two of them. It's really that community outreach, and which is a part of community relations, is kind of a one-way street. At least that part of community relations is a one-way street, whereas public engagement is a two-way street. You're not just pushing information, but you are really seriously intent on hearing the other person and listening and garnering their perspective, because that ultimately is what is going to lead to either consensus or some level of agreement. Can you give us an example of, say, a community outreach that maybe might be one-way messaging versus community engagement where this very critical listening step is important? Sure. As you said in your introduction, thank you. A lot of efforts on our part have been relating to government entities. The public sector of government relations has often relied on standard, traditional public open houses. They just say, okay, we're going to be here. We'll put a few posters up. We might do some of our communications to say, come to us. Public engagement is about coming to them. 
you can't rely, especially in people's busy worlds today, for them to be able to just come at the time that you say that you're going to hold a public hearing or try to reach out to get their input. So public engagement really takes it a step further and says, we're coming to you. We're going to be able to communicate to you. We want to communicate to you as you need the communications, as you're willing to hear what we have to say and when you're willing to hear it. It involves a a broader set of tactics when you engage people. So what are some ways in which you've seen public entities do this type of engagement, say going out to people where they are and their target audience versus sitting in in a building and saying, come to us? Are there some campaigns that you might want to talk about that would illustrate that concept? Sure. We try to provide public engagement tactics in all of our projects. So we are setting up, let's say, coffees where somebody could, we could invite people personally. We are doing some guerrilla marketing, traditionally what people would call guerrilla marketing. We'll give you an example. One project we were working on for the city of Aspen was about alternative mobility options. And some of the tactics we used were creating an ice cream truck. And we took that, or trike rather, we took that trike to, for example, Aspen Valley Hospital. And we would have instead of either ice cream or sometimes uh, coffee in the morning, if we took it there at noon, we'd have burritos and people would come out and we'd They'd get their free food. We might have them fill out a survey. We would be there to have them ask us questions if we want. And it's part of developing relationships, too, which I'd like to talk about in a minute because that's such a critical component. But that was one one example. Another one in that same project was going to all of the live concerts last summer. Uh, Well, I guess it was two summers ago before COVID. And we were just there with a booth. And if people wanted to come by, they could, but we weren't pushing things out to them. We were hearing what they had to say, and they'd stop by and say, tell me what you're about. Well, we'd like you to fill out this survey. We want to know what your mobility habits are, because the city of Aspen is trying to come up with ideas to change those or to to reflect what you need, basically, through the kinds of, of options that those people said, this works for me and this doesn't work for me. So it's really hearing what they have to say. So those kinds of activities created the opportunity for conversations. And also by completing the survey, they could give you feedback and ideas in a, in a more structured way. That's correct. So you have some general tactics that are the same as some other campaigns, but it's a little more active instead of passive. You know, and it really comes down to when you're talking about inspiring audiences, um, when you're talking about a process that is soliciting these kind of opinions, you have to let the community know you care about them. You care about their opinions and their desires and their fears. If you're working on a project that may be a little bit controversial and political, you want to hear what they have to say. You don't assume that you are going to ever convince everybody that whatever you are working on is the correct path. But I always say part of my one of my goals is to neutralize the opposition. If I listen to them, if I sit down and say, tell me what you think, why do you care about this the way you do? Is there anything I can do to help you, you know, enlighten you about some other aspect of it? Sometimes, and this has actually happened to me, I'll give you an example of that too. They actually 
can turn around and support you. So that's another, that's a way of building consensus. And an example I'll give you is several years ago, we worked on a updated master plan for the Aspen Pitkin County Airport. It was a huge project that lasted several years. It had a lot of different tactical components. One of the things we created was an opportunity for people to sign up to go to the see the bowels of the airport, basically do these airport back of the airport tours. And one of the people that was I wanted so badly to be a part of that took advantage of the invitation. She was extremely opposed at the time. She was so fascinated to say, oh, my gosh, I couldn't I can't believe how crowded what crowded conditions these workers are in, what the baggage handlers have to deal with, how the runway slopes down to the terminal and why we need to change that because it could be you know, potentially dangerous. Seeing what people's experiences are can help them in an educational and in an emotional way change their minds. That's a great example of being able to see things from a different perspective and being able to see what the reality is versus what others might be be telling you. I'm curious on the mobility project when you were doing the surveying and talking to people, were there some things perhaps that you learned from that feedback that were quite surprising and might have changed or formed your action plan? (laughs) There actually were some things. In fact, the the city was not got a lot of pushback for some of the ideas. And fortunately, they listened to those ideas and adjusted their plans, you know, accordingly. You have to be sincere about this. I mean, if you're going to be working on a project where you're asking for people's opinions, you better be willing to modify some of your plans or some of your ideas. That definitely happened in that particular case. I think one of them was just it was impractical to have one of the bicycle stations so far from work because people told us, look, I, I love to bike and we're a very active community and very fit community. So we thought, and I think the city thought this would be very positive to do. Well, they said, I don't have a shower at work. I can't, I have my kid that I have to drop off at daycare. There's no way I can park at your intercept lot and ride one of your free bikes into town. So that's just one tiny example of how this kind of outreach, this kind of engagement can make a difference in a plan. And when you had folks who were doing this kind of community engagement, did you provide training for them? And and what, tell us about how you prepared people to do this. Well, a lot of it is just kind of what what I already said about helping people understand that they're about asking the questions. They are there to listen and to elicit the audiences that we've identified ideas. So training, you'd have to have a certain person who's doing this. A lot of times it was a partner and I and the, and the head of, of the communications departments that we worked with. So they have a certain level of training. You do have to have a certain personality to, to make this work because it has to be sincere. People have to know that you really do care about what they're saying or they're not going to be very willing to to listen or to potentially change their minds. Jeanette, can you tell us now a little bit about the role of key influencers when you're in a public engagement process like this? Sure. Community influencers, key, we call them key influencers, are people who have a certain 
ability and certain relationships that they can influence other people. What we're trying to do is utilize other people's networks to be able to broaden the reach in terms of our ultimate audience. So it's really critical that these key influencers that we choose are well-respected, are articulate, have certain relationships with people like, let's say it's a governmental body we're trying to influence, that they have a relationship with that person that, or, or an expertise that political individual that a lot politician respects and might be more willing to listen to. So the the value of a smaller community, but this can happen in cities too, because you just have to divide up your 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 networks into small communities. And there are key influencers in every one of these pockets. So they end up sometimes talking to people themselves. They share information with via email, via phone calls, via possibly even having sitting down, having discussions, not with the, the elected official themselves, but if you are trying to influence a political body by getting people at a public hearing, for example, you want to pack the room with people who will be respected by those political entities. We can often learn from others' mistakes, and I'd love to hear your observations about when this this type of tactic has been tried and it didn't work. And it's obviously not going to be one of your clients, but um, <laughs> what you see and, and what you can tell us uh, conversely then about best practices. It's uh, like, be sure we've talked about the fact that you have to really be willing to listen and you have to be able, willing to act on what you're told. Otherwise, the whole exercise is fruitless and it'll your constituents will see through it that you really weren't sincere in the first place. What are some examples you might be able to share that might illustrate other things not to do when you're trying to use this this tactic of public engagement for um, consensus building? I'd say the first thing I can that comes to mind is a project I'm aware of where this entity, and they did not use a public relations agency, it was the entity themselves, they decided that they knew the answers and they were just going to have a plan and they would eventually have a, have a meeting with people, in this case, a bunch of retailers. And those retailers came to this meeting outraged because the entity had not, the political entity had not bothered to reach out to them individually. The right thing to do would have been to go to each of those retail stores and say, what do you think about this idea of taking some parking places away so that we could have more bike lanes or something like that. Well, that doesn't work when you've got, because people haven't realized, the entity didn't realize that how people shop, for example. I mean, they didn't know that people have all these bags. They're not going to ride a bike. They're going to want to drive in front of the store. And so it kind of, it backfired on them and they pulled the plan. That could happen. So I think it comes down to not doing what I said is the most important thing. And that's listening, reaching out sincerely asking questions and inquiring and fostering a dialogue before you even come up with a with a plan. You might have a draft plan, but if you start this process early on in the in your planning process, it really can work and it really can make a difference. Jeanette, can you tell us some best practices that you would advise people to employ when they're undertaking this kind of a project? Well I think 
it's much like many other communications campaigns. You know, you determine the goals, you identify the obstacles, you identify the audiences, as we've been talking about, including those, you know, key influencers. You ask yourself questions on who can influence these decision makers. You roll out the tactics a little bit differently, though, and you have some different tactics, as, we, as we've been mentioning, in a really robust public engagement campaign. Ultimately, the goal, and I think this is the one of the most important best practices, is to build trust. And you build trust by developing relationships. People want to know who you are. They want to know why they should trust you. They want to know why they should trust an entity. And these are very basic things in public engagement that people kind of forget about. They think about themselves more than they think about their audience. And so this development of relationships is a key component and a key practice that is often it's the short shrift or maybe is ignored all the way altogether. And that takes time. It's funny to say that time is a best practice, but it really is in this case because you can't do some of the things you want to do in a campaign like these if people don't trust you. And you can't develop the trust if you're not going to sit down and take the time to talk with them and develop a relationship. And that's when some of the storytelling comes in that you started that we were referring to a while back. I I think when people are willing to share their personal experiences and those stories, they're powerful, can really influence somebody's attitude because they think, well, I can relate to that. I had that same experience, or my neighbor did, or I know about that. And ultimately, you know, they may or may not agree with you, but you can end up having less divisive dialogue. That's a really important point. And you're talking about stories and real experiences that individuals have had that they can share that obviously affect their audience, because these people that uh, are listening have had similar experiences themselves. And as we said, our our brains are hardwired to respond to stories, and it may open up some minds in ways that haven't been opened before. That's right. And there's a lot of ways to to implement a storytelling project. And I think we have a lot of experts in our PRBI network that are utilize storytelling on an ongoing, regular basis. One of our colleagues has that as their as their tagline. So I think you can apply it in in different ways. Those real world experiences can be brought into a public hearing when somebody is telling why they feel certain ways about whether they support or or do not support a particular project. It's important to remember that you're talking to real people with real experiences, like you said, that we can tap into and we just have to remember to ask them. You also made a good case, Jeanette, when we were talking about trust, that if there's no relationship or a bad one, why would anyone listen to you now? So that's making the case for proactively developing that relationship ahead of the time that it's actually needed. In other words, building up some equity with these groups versus you know running to them to get something when, when you need it. And that's an endorsement for an ongoing communication program that takes place over time. It's not necessarily event or crisis driven. 
do you have anything, any best practices you might want to say or share with us about that in terms of how it's better to have laid the foundation for those relationships before the actual need for their support arises? That's a really excellent point, Joy. I wish that more clients thought that way. <laughs> I, wish that, <laughs> I wish that they they realized that this is not just something they need to do when they are faced with a particular project, but that it, it really is an ongoing relationship building need. I like the word you said when building equity over time, because it really is building equity in you in you and your project and your client. So I can't think of an example right right now of when people haven't done that, but unless we went back to that retail experience I was talking about. Obviously, those people, and I have heard this before, you've never come into my store. Never once. Do you care about me? You don't care what I think. You're just coming for the wrong reasons at the wrong time. So it was a good wake-up call for that entity to say, to realize that they better be working on long-term equity and, and relationship building. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jeanette, I think we have come to the end of our time. A lot of insight here for listeners about uh, how to go about engaging the public and engaging particular groups. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you think, or any final words that you'd like to, to share with us? I think we've covered a good broad basis of the of the public outreach and public engagement sector. And I'm hopeful that it's been helpful to some people who are interested in learning more. Well, thank you. It's certainly been helpful to me. I appreciate you sharing your insights and experience with our audience. And uh, once again, thanks to everybody who's listening to PRBI Insider. Thanks, Jeanette. Thank you, Joy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the PRBI Insider featuring members of the PR Boutique's International Association. Never miss an episode. Go to prbiinsider.com and follow us in your favorite podcast app or subscribe via email. Learn more about PRBI at prboutiques.com.